Hi, this is Steve. One of the comments John and I get most often, whether it is on Twitter, Facebook, Patreon, or Instagram, is that someone can't believe that we still haven't talked about, and then they name a great film, actor, or director. Godfather 1 and 2 certainly come up all the time, but so does Seventh Samurai, Schindler's List, Bridge on the River Kwai, Lord of the Rings, Seven, not to mention On the Waterfront, Nosferatu, Raging Bull, Groundhog Day, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, The Last Picture Show, Chinatown, and on and on and on. And you know what? All those people are absolutely right. You see, if there's one thing doing this podcast has taught me, it's that there are so many powerful, funny, brilliant, and beloved movies out there, and in 150 episodes, John and I have barely begun to scratch the surface. In fact, believe it or not, John and I have never actually done a true silent film. Charlie Chaplin's Modern Times doesn't really count, and that's decades of film history we haven't even touched. And what better place to start than with the film Orson Welles called the greatest comedy and perhaps the greatest movie ever made, Buster Keaton's The General. Now my guess is there are a lot of movie fans out there who have never seen Buster Keaton or even sat down to watch a silent film. Well, maybe you think it will be slow, boring, or inaccessible. Well, nothing could be further from the truth. The General is a fast-paced, funny, and engaging comedy adventure. And if you don't believe me, just ask my eight-year-old son. I believe the words, wow, awesome, and this guy is amazing, came up several times while we watched Buster do his thing. So if you haven't seen it, take a trip into the silent era on cinephiles.net, where you can buy or stream The General along with every other movie we've ever reviewed. Then, come back on Friday as The Cinephiles enters the world of the truly brilliant and hugely influential Buster Keaton. Hello and welcome once again to The Cinephiles, where each week we enter the world of a great film. We explore its themes, the history, the filmmaking, and the influence it has on us today. My name is Steve Morris. I'm a filmmaker and directing instructor in Los Angeles, California. Hello, everyone. My name is John Roca. I'm a voiceover artist, uh, host, producer, and writer over at Collider and Collider.com. Co-host of the Top Ten Show, co-host of the Geek Buddies, and a proud co-host of The Cinephiles. And I'm excited for this movie today. We're going to talk about Steve. This is one you suggested, which I haven't thought about in years. This is our oldest film. Oh, we wow. are going back to a movie. This this movie is 93 years old. Woo-hoo. 1926, Buster Keaton, The General. It is our first official silent film. We did Modern Times. We did Modern Times. But Modern Times is like a half silent film because yeah. there is sync sound in it. There's no dialogue. So it's, you know, it was Charlie Chaplin's way of, you know, dangling his toes in the water of sound <laughs> without doing full sound. But this is a full silent film yep. from the silent era. Do you remember how you first came to it? Um, I would say it was probably many, many years ago when I was going through these. Like, you've got to see these silent films right. to be considered a cinephile, right. right? I'd gone through the Chaplin stuff. Keaton was always kind of the person that didn't quite get to the Chaplin level. And I always had a hard time with Keaton because I'm a Harold Lloyd, Charlie Chaplin guy. Right. If I'm going to watch a silent film, I wanted to have a little more charm and personality. And as much as I enjoy Buster Keaton, the hangdog face keeps me from fully feeling a joy or a, or a fun during his movies. He was known as Old Stoneface. That <laughs> yeah, was his so nickname. I wasn't always uh, the one that ran to it, but I remember watching this one uh, in, in Steamboat, whatever it is. Steamboat Bill Jr. Steamboat Bill Jr. And I was like, these are incredible. So I think it was back in the uh, maybe late 90s when I was there uh, at uh, Florida State and probably rented it from the library there and watched it. 
So, so for me, I think I'd watched a couple of shorts, and just like mm-hmm. you, I had watched some Charlie Chaplin because he's the guy you hear about first. Yeah, of course. And I'd seen a tiny bit of Harold Lloyd, and then I was in film school and in my film history class, which, by the way, I to this day am still using things I learned in that class 20-something years ago and use them frequently on the cinephiles. Yeah. We watched uh, Seven Chances, which is a fantastic oh. movie, fantastic Buster Keaton movie. And then you know the silent movie theater that's on Fairfax? Yes. Um, that used to be there. It used to be there. So this was a place where they just showed silent films. And only in Los Angeles could there be a movie theater which was just devoted to silent films in one – Day when I was still in film school, it's probably ninety five or ninety six. They showed the general, and Karen and I went to see it. And I remember sitting in like the fourth row of that little theater with that <laughs> square screen yeah, because yeah. that's the aspect ratio of the time. Yeah, and watching the general, and just and it was so cool to see it in a big audience because how often do you have a chance for that? And just everybody laughing along with this movie. Yeah, and um, I want to go into. You know, it's our first time talking about Buster Keaton. I'd like to give a little bit of history just because he's a really interesting guy. Mm. So uh, first of all, he's born in 1896. Um, he's named Joseph after his dad and his was a family of vaudevillians. And it sounds like in the, this is the 1870s, 1880s, 1890s that they were a traveling family of vaudevillians. And it sounds like this is the time when – it's really even pre-vaudeville. They were – they sold patent medicines. They rolled into town. They did shows. And for those of you who don't know patent medicines, this is like the, here's the elixir that will cure your baldness, sir, and you, sir, and you, sir. Do you have some ague in the morning, feeling a little dropsy, whatever like weird stuff? And here was the stuff they were selling. And one of the people they were traveling with was a little-known magician named Harry Houdini. Oh. It was the Houdini and the Keatons traveling around doing shows in the 1890s. And Buster Keaton – was born and at the store this of course this could be totally apocryphal but that at 18 months or maybe six months based on other stories he fell down an entire flight of stairs was entirely unhurt wow jumped up and the friend that was with them said that kid's a real buster (laughs) oh and that's how he got his name that's how he got his name there's another story that said it was actually harry houdini who gave him that name I wouldn't be surprised by that. I mean, and who knows? But they certainly were traveling with Houdini. And Buster joined the show when he was three years old, so 1899. And what they did, and I'm telling you, this is what (laughs) – this is the truth, is he would sass his dad and his dad would throw him through the scenery. Wow. Or throw him into the orchestra pit. Or throw him into the audience. In fact, they threw him around so much that they actually sewed the handle of a suitcase onto his clothing to make it easier to throw him far. And they were frequently arrested for child abuse until Buster would take off his shirt and say there are no bruises, no broken bones. He was became just an instant expert at falling, mm-hmm. a, a, a skill which he says – Saved his life many, many times. Wow. Like his method of being able to be relaxed, which I know from doing martial arts, and go limp and be loose and not take those impacts. He was billed. They would go to towns and put the poster up and he was billed as the little boy who can't be damaged. It's weird, right? Yeah. You're feeling a little strange about this story. You want to talk about child labor. Right? Well, that's what – actually, they got arrested several times when the child labor laws changed. Of course. And they forced Buster – like they go to New York. They get arrested. Buster Keaton is forced to go to school. He goes to school one day <laughs> and then they skip town. Oh. So he basically never went to school. He was just a traveling performer. Yeah. Um, they come to – he served in the military in World War One. And they come to Hollywood and he starts to find out about movies. And now he's, you know, in his 20s. And uh, he starts working for Joseph M. Schenck, who's not, you know, is one of the 
producers. He's not like the biggest ones like uh, just like Shrek. Yeah. Oh, no, not Shrek. I'm sorry. Uh, Max Sennett. Max Sennett. That's right, the one I couldn't right, remember. Right, right. And uh, the person he ends up starting work for is Fatty Arbuckle. Oh. He becomes a gag man. On the, a gag man is a person who writes jokes, and it's not word jokes. It's physical visual jokes because we're in the silent era. Right. And he became sort of his the second banana to Fatty Arbuckle for a whole bunch of shorts, 14 shorts into the 20s. Uh, when Fatty Arbuckle, for those of you who don't know, he's another few tiers down. Like if you go Chaplin, Harold Lloyd, Buster Keaton, Laurel and Hardy, and now you get to uh, Langdon and Fatty Arbuckle. And Fatty Arbuckle was accused of murdering uh, a woman and the people who stood by him were Charlie Chaplin and Buster Keaton and yep. a few other people. And he was in his first feature film with Douglas Fairbanks and now he starts to get hired to do his own two reel comedies which become a huge hit. Two reel means how many reels of film so it's like a 20 minute movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're really good by the way. Watch you know things like One Week, The Playhouse, Electric House. These are funny, funny, brilliant uh, comedies, well worth watching. And he goes into feature films where he had complete artistic control. Mm-hmm. Like Chaplin, he was the writer, he was the director, he thought up all these gags, and he became a huge, huge, huge stuntman. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we mentioned Steamboat Bill Jr., Seven Chances, and The General, which he believes is his greatest film, is made in 1926, and that brings us up to today. Oh, okay. I mean, not up to today. Right. It brings us up to where we're, the movie we're talking about today. Yeah. Um, just a little bit of pre-production. This is actually based on a true story. Yes. It is the great locomotive chase. Mm-hmm. And yet, here's the weird thing. This is a story in which Union Army, as heroes, go down, steal a locomotive, name the general, Bring it back up to the north, destroying trains and uh, train tracks and telegraph wires and burning stuff and fought several battles to finally meet up with the northern army. The guys who did this, they several of them won the Congressional Medal of Honor. These guys were heroes. Keaton looks at this and I don't know if this is true, but this is what I read. He looks at this story and he says, I don't know if people would really root for the Union Army. Right. So I'm going to switch it to the conf- I'm going to switch the heroes to be the Confederates. Yeah, or or vice versa. He said, uh, "I don't think people would see the Confederates as villains." Yeah, and so that's an interesting thing. At the time, 1926. Right. What's the mood of the country in 1926 for this to see if the Confederate were they like? I mean, this is after obviously what is it? The, uh, the birth of the nation is 19. 19- 16, 14, right, something right. like that. But also the reconstruction of the South. So sure. maybe they're seeing – well, they're still reevaluating what happened and healing the wounds. It's a so weird it's thing. It's an interesting time, yeah. Well, I watched it with my kid and I had to explain to them. He's like, is those the bad guys? And I'm like, well, yeah, in mean, this film – Yeah, in this film they're the yes. bad guys. They're not really the bad guys. I wouldn't guys. feel that they were the bad guys. But why does he want to make the Union the bad guys? That's interesting too. Was he a Confederate sympathizer? I couldn't find any information on this at all. Very interesting. Um, and uh, – uh, he tried to actually get the actual general that had been used in the actual uh, raid by the Union troops, but it was being preserved. They shot this whole thing up in Oregon. Um, they used actual vintage cha- trains. When they went to shoot up there, they had 18 freight cars of materials. They had cannon, costumes, houses, covered wagons. All of it they took up from L.A. up to Oregon to shoot this film in a small town called Cottage Grove. Yeah. Um, and they hired 1,500 locals to work on this movie. There were 3,000 people on the payroll. The budget was somewhere around $750,000. Which in 1926 money. This is one of the biggest films of all time. It's not quite like an intolerance level, which is D.W. Griffin's which I've never been able to watch. Mm-hmm. I've watched parts of it. A huge, huge film. But it's not quite at that level. But this is a huge, 
huge, massive film. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one thing I should say is, guess what, folks? This is a silent film. Yeah. If you haven't watched a silent film, it's silent and not silent in that it doesn't have music because there will be music. Yeah. But there are no sound effects. There's no foley. There's no dialogue. This is all done silently. And if you were to go to see this in a theater, you would see it accompanied by a live musician. Yeah. Um, so we're going to do this silently for yeah. the next 90 minutes with just music playing underneath what we're thinking. Yeah. I did. <laughs> now would you like to get in? Yeah, let's do this. So uh, we start off, we see the Western Flyer going into Georgia. The year is 1861. We see the train. Buster Keaton's driving the train. The train is called the General. Now we know the meaning of the title. Right. Um, he checks his time and he walk, gets into this small town, which is again shot in Cottage Grove in Oregon. Um, it's supposed to be a southern town and there are kids there to welcome the train and he kind of looks at the kids and what we see on the title cards, because this has title cards to tell us information, is there are two things that this guy loves. He loves the train mm -hmm. and he loves this girl. Yeah. And we see a picture of him with the train and a picture of the girl. Yeah, Annabelle. And then we see her. We see Annabelle and he is walking with the kids and they're walking in step. <laughs> and the music is on the beat and they're walking along and Annabelle sees them and she falls in line behind them. He walks up to her door. He checks his hair. He checks his face. He checks his clothes, not realizing the girl that he loves is right behind him. Then he sees her. And we go inside. And I love the kids go inside with him. Yeah. And he wants to obviously propose. And, and what's so great about this movie is the storytelling is fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even though you don't hear dialogue, there's never a moment where you don't know what's going on. Mm -hmm. He can't propose with those kids there. So he gets up. He puts on his hat. They put on their hats. He starts walking towards the door. They start walking towards the door. He opens the door. They go through the door. He closes the door with them <laughs> on the outside and turns back to her. And just as he's about to propose, in comes dad with the news that Fort Sumter has been attacked. And we hear Dixie play. Um, and they're all going to go enlist. Yeah. She asks if he's going to go enlist. Of course he's going to go enlist. And we're going to go off to enlist in the Confederate Army. Well, he's re he's, re he's it looks like he's almost reluctant to enlist, right? Because dad goes and enlists. The brother, her the brother, brother goes and yeah. enlists. Which I, I thought initially, because I hadn't seen it in a long time, I thought it might be the, a rival suitor for her hand. That's what I thought, too. But it's actually her brother. Yeah. Uh, but he is almost – like, he didn't even think about enlisting, right? That right. wasn't his first thought as soon as dad came in with the news to run away. It was, she, it's only when she says – sees him sitting on the couch. Everyone else has run out to go enlist. And she says, aren't you going to enlist? And he's like, uh, uh, yes, yes, I'll go enlist. I love you. I'll do whatever you need me to do for you to me. In love with me, boom, and right. goes off. Yeah. Well, what's interesting about his character throughout is he is not active. No, he no. is reactive. Mm -hmm. Is that he never chooses to do a thing, but when a thing needs doing, he does it. Yeah. You know what I mean? So she says, he does it doesn't occur to him to enlist. And she goes, you going to go enlist? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I am. Which is a stupid thing you do for love. <laughs> you always do stupid things for love. Yeah. Um, well, it's not going to work out because he's not. Gonna, he's going to have a lot of problems. He runs, sneaks his way into line. And what we'll see throughout this whole movie is these little tiny bits. Yeah. It's not just that he gets in line. It's how he gets in line. Mm -hmm. He slides into line super fast. And it's just the little touches that are so much fun. He goes up to the enlistment officer. And by the way, the whole town is coming out to enlist. Yeah. Everybody. Everyone's ready to go fight against the Union. This is not how it was, but okay. <laughs> well, actually, you know what? In our Civil War documentary, it's not like a lot of Confederate people didn't sign up to enlist right, right away. With, right. Yeah, I mean, I, I, Do you think they all ran out of towns to go enlist? 
to go fight? I don't think they did it quite like in this movie. Yeah, but there was definitely – it was a very romantic cause at the beginning so. of that war. Yeah, before they knew what it was. Before right. they knew what was going to happen to them. Steve, yeah. And by the way, <laughs> this movie is not going to touch on <laughs> any of that, any of that right. at all. Right. Goes up to the enlistment guy. He says his name is Johnny Gray. Which is like it's really so. It's half Johnny Reb and it's half the color of the Confederate uniform. Oh, good point. Um, and uh, and the the guy says, "Well, what's your occupation?" And he says, "I'm the engineer of the train." And the guy goes, "Oh." He goes to talk to his boss. His boss says, "No, we need him to be running the train." Mm-hmm. So they say denied, but they don't tell him why he's denied. Which is interesting, yeah. But of course, it works for the narrative of the be- film. Well, it works for the next three bits that we're going to see. So he walks out, sees the next guy. He gets the slip to be in the army. And that guy is kind of big and strong and strapping. So he goes, oh, I'm kind of small. So maybe that's why. And then up comes a person who is exactly his height (laughs) and build who also got a slip. And he goes, oh, well, what's that about? And then he goes, oh, I I got an idea. I'm going to pretend to be someone else. So he goes back. He sneaks back in line, goes up to the guy, says he's a bartender. Guy recognizes, nope, that's not going to work. And then we get another bit where someone holds out a little slip for the next person who's distracted talking to their neighbor, and he takes the slip because he's going to steal his way into the army. No, that doesn't work. He gets kicked out as well. And now outside, who does he see but the brother and the dad of the woman he loves? And they go, hey, come on in line with us. And he says no, which they interpret as his cowardice. He doesn't want to join the army. Of course, that's not true because he doesn't explain what's happening. And we end up back at the train. And he sits down on, I don't know what it's called, but the the metal beam between the wheels. Yeah. And up comes Annabelle. And she talks to her family and they say, oh, he he wouldn't even get in line. Yeah. And she's like, what? Oh, my. And she comes over to him and tells him he's a disgrace to the South. And says, I don't want to see you again unless you're in uniform. Yep. She, she walks out and he sits back on again that bar between those wheels and the train starts moving and he goes up and down perfectly with the thing. Before I ever saw this movie, I remember yeah. seeing that, that. Yeah. Right? If you're any lover of film, whenever you see montages of great films, and certainly in the Oscars growing up in the 80s yeah. and 90s, they did that, you would see this sequence. This, right. Because it's such a brilliantly shot sequence and believable with how it's rolling around like that and him go it's such a brilliant idea well and and, and let's take a step because it looks so perfect yeah and he is motionless part of what sells the gag is that he has no reaction yeah. to this thing moving at all yeah. he is perfectly balanced he doesn't lean forward he doesn't lean back he doesn't you know jerk at all when this thing starts going no. and he moves perfectly off so first of all that degree of difficulty is super hard to make something look so simple and perfect yeah the other thing to keep in mind is these are real trains. Yes. They're not just real trains. They are real Civil War era trains. They're not replicas. They are trains that are 60 years old yeah. with Civil War technology. Those are big, powerful steam boilers, huge, heavy wheels. If he is an inch off, those things cut him right in half. Yeah. I mean, th- he, this is – it doesn't look like a dangerous stunt. Right. It is really dangerous. It makes you wonder how you go about preparing a stunt like this. I, well, that watch this film. Yeah. So, so you're going to watch this film, and you're going to get just swept up in how enjoyable it is. It's really enjoyable. Sure. And then, you know, for our cinephiles fans out there, watch it again and think about how did they do this? Yeah. And remember that the only things they're using is real trains. Yeah. Like it, when they're throwing wood in that fire to make that train go, that's what's making the train go. Right. You know. 
So you literally have to stoke a, spy, a fire to get a, the vehicle up to speed. Also, the timing of these things. All of it. Incredible, yeah. And, and the camera work is um, – what, what, one of the really interesting things about film is that film reached to some degree a, a, an artistic peak in the 20s because film is li- literally invented in the late 1800s. And then really it's the great train robbery, which is Edwin mm. S. Porter's film in 1905, yeah. which is the first real film where they actually use editing and some of the techniques that become to be established of how you actually do this. And then you get – um, uh, Birth of a Nation, which is not a film we're ever doing on the cinephiles, nope. but is extremely important film in, in terms of film history and technique. By the time you get to the mid-20s, the silent movie art form had reached a kind of peak. They'd really figured out how to do this. And then when sound comes in, it fucks all that up. Yeah. Because – Instead of having these relatively small cameras that you could move around easily, you had these huge cameras that were super noisy and these microphones and it just – you know, you go into what we see in Singing in the Rain. Right, right. And all that great technique and camera movement and all that stuff they'd figure out, they had to throw out the window because the cameras couldn't move anymore. Everything was dealing with sound constantly and recording constantly and you see that the films of the the 30s are much simplified in compared to the films of the 20s. Um, Anyway, it's a year later and – we're at a union camp in Chattanooga and now we meet our bad guys and we find out the bad guy plan, which is these evil union spies are going to go south. They're going to steal train, do exactly what actually happened, which yeah. is tear up all the rails, just do a whole bunch of destruction and bring it back to the union army. Yeah. Um, and they go, great. It's a great plan. And part of their plan is that they're going to steal the train when the uh, they stop at somewhere called – uh, shanty, big shanty, big shanty for dinner. For dinner, twenty and, minutes. Yeah, all the all the passengers are going to get out. Is it a buffet, Steve? Like, how do all those passengers get out and eat in twenty minutes and get back on the train in twenty minutes? I here's what I think. So, I've <laughs> have you ever had this? What like this situation? No. Okay. When I was a kid, the greatest trip of my childhood was we went to Alaska oh, when I was okay. nine years old, and we went at one point. I think we took a train through the Yukon in Canada, Ooh, nice. like an old narrow gauge kind of old fashioned railroad, and we had exactly this: get off the train, you have twenty minutes for lunch or dinner or whatever, and then you get back on the train. Wow. And uh, and it was big bowls of chili or something. Oh, so I bet it was big bowls of stew. Right, you know, some, something like. Here's stew. Here's some 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 soft tack and some you know and you know some vegetables or something and then it's already get, lined up. All lined up. Yeah. Anyway, but, but we digress. Yeah, well, but that is my guess. I just wanted to know. Yep. So everyone gets off the train and and we see that oh Annabelle she's on the train right and we've also seen by the way that uh, she's seen her brother who's wounded and we mm-hmm. hear that dad has also been wounded in the and war. she sees Johnny. Oh, that's right. She does see Johnny because, of course, he's running the train. He is, and he's ashamed when he sees her too because he yep. sees each other from a distance, and he just gets back into that caboose all yep. resigned. And everyone gets off the train. All the bad guys get off the train, but they get off on the other side. Yeah. And then Annabelle, I guess she forgets something, heads back to the train, goes into the baggage car. They, they grab her, bad guys do, tie her up. And they've uncoupled the train. That engine starts to pull away. And, of course, Johnny sees it and some of the other guys who work the train see it. And they mm-hmm. all take off running. And Johnny keeps running. Yeah. <laughs> which is pretty incredible. He – every time I watch him move, it's just fun. I just wonder if the way they make that effect work is that everyone else is running a little bit slower than he sure. is. So it makes it look like he's really fast. Like Chaplin did that too. Yeah. Like it's amazing how fast these lead actors are in their films. But it could be because everyone else is running a little bit slower to make yep. it look like they're fast. Bad guys are cutting some telegraph lines. Yeah. And Buster Keaton gets a hand car. 
um, and it doesn't get it going the right way, then does get it going the right way, and they start the bad guys are busting up the tracks, yeah, and they wreck some rail, and Buster Keaton goes right into where it's wrecked. He goes off the rails. The handcart goes down into the river. Now what? Now what is he going to do? Right. Sees a dude with an old fashioned bike. The ricketiest looking wooden, weird, big wheel bike possible. And again, this shot lasts, I don't know, two seconds. Yeah. Watch Buster Keaton jump on this bike and ride right off. It's incredible. Amazing. I don't know how, you know, Buster Ball is literally doing what he did. Well, and it's like he leaps on the bike from behind and is immediately pedaling. Yes. His feet find those pedals. And this is the thing. So one of the big fans of Buster Keaton is Jackie Chan. Jackie Chan is a huge Buster Keaton fan. That makes so much sense. And if you look at things that Buster Keaton does, which is he goes, well, I want to do this thing with the bike. And it's, like I said, two seconds maybe on screen. Maybe it's 50 takes. Who knows how many takes it took right. for him to do this thing? And Jackie Chan, it's all the time. I want to flip this pen from one hand and catch it in this cup while doing this other thing with my foot. Right. Ninety takes later, he gets it. Yeah, you know, and it's for and it's literally like I'm going to give you a two second little bit of pleasure that you won't even pay that much attention to, but right. that's the perfectionism, you know. And then he crashes that bike. <laughs> then he gets to the next town, and there's some soldiers, and there's a train, and he says, "Hey, some bad guys." Captured the general, my general, which of course they're going. I'm. They yeah. think it's a human. Yeah, right. And so they rally the troops. And they get on the train, and he gets on the uh, on the in the engine, and he takes off, and it's not connected to the. <laughs> which I love, and I love seeing the the uh, Confederate soldiers waving and yelling, <laughs> like, at "Hey, him. you're leaving us behind, you idiot!" Yeah. And of course, it takes him a long time to realize right. that actually he's not pulling anything. He's not the smartest guy, Johnny. Let's be real. No, he's always looking forward. Yeah, he's a sweetheart of a guy, but he's always yes, he's always looking forward. Yeah. Yes. Well, and he he is he has one of the greatest skills that any hero could ever have, luck. Yes, true. He gets luck and determination. Yes. There's no he's not going to quit. Nope. The uh, bad guys are watering their uh, train, and he ends up going through the water which we're going to see happen in reverse later on in the film. And the bad guys look back and see that they're being followed, but they assume there must be a bunch of guys. So they don't want to fight him. They don't know it's just one dude uh, um, coming after them. And then we see a thing that we're going to see throughout this whole thing, which is Buster Keaton running back and forth on the top of the moving train while it's going. It's incredible. Again, folks, there's nothing fake here. Don't try this at home. This is a real Civil War era train going 40 miles an hour along the tracks, and he is running back and forth on it like it's nothing. Once again, you got to wonder how many takes. How many takes? How many times did he fall down or fall off? Yeah. Or stop himself or stumble. It's just crazy. Well, and to do it too, there has to be a road alongside the train tracks with a car going 40 miles an hour to do the tracking shot. Yeah. You know, and and again, this is a 1926 truck that's doing this too. And the shots are beautiful. And I'm telling you, the Blu-ray restoration, it looks fantastic. I've never seen a film of this era look this good. Uh, It it looks just fantastic. I found a streaming version in HD. You're right, Steve. It's beautiful. Yeah. he finds a big cannon. <laughs> right. Luckily, on a cart to attach to the back of his engine, which he does. Right. And so now while the train is going and he's not running it, which I guess, you know, it's a train. It's on tracks. It's not like it's going to go the wrong way, although later on things like that happen. Yeah. But he goes, I'm going to fire this cannon at the car in front of me. So he gets some gunpowder. He puts it in the cannon. He gets the cannonball. He puts it into the ramrod, the wadding, the whole thing, just like you're supposed to. 
here's my understanding. And again, I don't know if I'm right about this. It's a real cannon fired with real gunpowder. Yeah. There isn't a way to fake this at this time. This is my again, this is my understanding. Yeah. So he actually and it's all in one shot. So he actually is holding real gunpowder and puts it in for the cannon to fire. Right. That's and, and what happens is he didn't put enough gunpowder in it, so the cannonball just kind of does a small lazy arc landing in the engine. Yeah. <laughs> which he then pushes off and it later explodes. So now he's gonna fire again. I didn't put enough gunpowder in the first time. I'll put all the gunpowder in the second time. Puts it in, lights the fuse, goes forward. Now he's in front of the cannon, which is aimed up. Yeah. He climbs onto the engine. His foot gets caught on something. Right. His foot gets caught on the cart that's holding the cannon in place, I believe. And it starts to separate. And he, again, we're going, oh, my God, how is he going to get out of this? Yeah. Gets his foot free. And now the cannon aims down. And is aimed directly at him. <laughs> at first, he doesn't know that this cannon with extra gunpowder is aimed directly at him. And now the bad guys uh, on the train in front, they've all lined up. They got their rifles out and they're ready to open fire at him. Yeah. Um, and the cannon does fire, but it fires right when we get to a curve in the track. And so instead of hitting him, it almost hits the bad guys. I can't even imagine the complexity of setting up that shot. Yeah. You've got the cannon fire and the explosion. You've got two trains running on curved tracks. You need the cannon fire to happen just as the track curves so it's aimed in the right direction and the explosion to happen in the right timing. Man, that's hard. Mm -hmm. With, again, 1860s era engines. Yeah. Amazing, the technology here. Mm -hmm. So the bad guys have decided to cut loose one of their cars. And that car is heading straight back towards Buster Keaton, <laughs> who's now down on the the cow. What's it called? The cow, uh, cow. cutter. The no, the thing that's in the front of the train. Oh yeah, yeah. it's a cow cutter, cow something. Sounds good. Um, and it literally was to keep cows off of the tracks. Right. And so this car is coming towards him. So he jumps off of his uh, train and switch does a switch on the road. So now the train is going on its own. Right. He's put a switch into the tracks to get the car off on the other side so his train could pass it, but then by the time he gets there the car is still in front of him. Yeah. <laughs> so we're jumping on and off of moving trains while filming it. It's just amazing. Yeah. Now the bad guys are throwing big railroad ties in the middle of the track. What's about to happen might not look really dangerous, but it is really dangerous. Um he he goes down again on the front of that cow cutter. That's, I know it has a different name and I'll remember mm -hmm. it at some point. And he sees that big wooden railroad tie coming towards him. Mm -hmm. And as he's coming towards it, he's he runs off of the train, down through the tracks, grabs the railroad tie, picks it up. And as this is happening, the train is coming up closer yeah. and closer and closer and finally swoops right under his butt and lifts him up. Couple things. So if the train actually hits that railroad tie, the train could derail. Yeah. I mean, it would knock this huge, you know, 10,000 ton, whatever it is, vehicle off the tracks. Yeah. If it hits him, hits his ankle, hits anything else in the wrong way, cut his foot off, break right. his leg, break his back. Or catch him underneath and he gets Or catch him underneath. Yeah. It is, and he's not looking. Mm -hmm. You know, so just – and it, again, just like that thing on the on the crossbeam between the wheels, yeah. he is smooth as silk and totally still when this happens. Right. At least in the take we got in the movie. Yep. Um, yeah, exactly. Well, that's what we wonder about. And the bad guys are throwing more wood down on that track. Right. And now he's holding that one big railroad tie and the other railroad tie is sticking into the tracks. And as we come up to it, 
He throws the his tie down on the corner of the other one and flips it off the track. The timing of that, I was going insane watching that because uh, the timing of it and the way it worked out, I don't know how, once again, I hate to keep saying this over and over again, but I don't know how many takes oh, I know. The, the timing of that would take and for it to flip in the right way, out of the way, blah, blah, blah. You know, he risked a lot because once again, Steve, if he misses that tie and the tie stays in, who knows when who the, knows it's happens. called a cow catcher, by the way. Cow catcher. Yeah. Thank you. Close enough. A cow catcher hits that thing. It could derail, like you said, or it could shoot him flying. Uh, oh, yeah. To, on steel or. Or uh, come back and what? hit him in the head. Or, yeah. Or, yeah any I mean, like, things. it's so. Well, and what's so. Mm. And this is the thing about Buster Keaton is that it's not showy. No, no. There's not. It, there, you don't sit there. He's not. Making you go, oh, my God, that's amazing. Yeah. It almost looks like, oh, he did that. Right. You know? Right. And, and what we'll see throughout this movie, this isn't a movie with a deep or complicated story. This isn't a movie with important themes or <laughs> complex characters or anything like that. What it is is here's a problem. How is Buster going to get out of this situation? Right. Here's another problem. How is he going to do it? And he's always going to do it in an inventive and funny way. And he's and they're always going to be another little bit, another little bit. Yeah. And, and, and just the – craftsmanship of everything he does is so impressive. Um, the the bad guys have pulled Annabelle out onto the engine now. They pu- pulled a switch to send him on the wrong track, and of course he stops just in time. He he runs the train backwards, gets on the right track. It's almost like a car. He almost does it like a car. To- totally. Backing it up and then running the other way. And then he's trying to go the other way, and the wheels start spinning. Yeah. And so he has to put dirt on the tracks to get some traction, and he does it, and, he, and the train starts to go, but he's turned around to get the next pile of dirt, he doesn't have a train anymore. No. Now he's got to catch the train. And, of course, he jumps onto a moving train a just moving as you train. do. Yeah. Um, and now the bad guys have sent back another car and this one is on fire, and he, which he finds in a – rams into in the tunnel. Yeah. Pushes that off another uh, direction. Um, and he goes onto the back of the train. And I guess it's like – I don't know what it is. Some big pipe or something mm-hmm. that he sits into and almost falls into it. Again, it's another little bit. Um, and now we go through the Confederate Army, which is retreating. And in a minute, we're going to go through the Union, Union Army, Army, which is advancing. Which is advancing. <laughs> um, and he's, of course, chopping wood to try to fill up his uh, – yeah. uh, to stoke his fire, breaks his axe. Um, and then there is the – as he's working on the wood, there is the Northern Army. And what we should say is throughout this whole thing, we're hearing music. And when we see the Confederate Army, we're hearing Dixie. And uh, when Johnny comes marching home and when we see the Union Army, we hear – it, it literally is the music out of the Ken Burns' Civil yeah, War documentary. It is. I heard it multiple times. Mm-hmm. It's something we should point out about this music. Yeah. It's right out of the Civil War documentary. Yeah. Um, is that when in early silent films, there would be music played, but it was really whatever that person wanted to play at the right. time. They would just improvise. As silent films became bigger and became more artistic, they actually composed a score for that movie. In fact, there are multiple scores for this film and you can watch it with different music and different music totally changes the way you feel about some of the moments in the film. Um, And what's really interesting is that if you were to see this film in 1928 in a big movie house in Chicago or Los Angeles or New York, you would see it with a full orchestra playing. If you were to see it in a small town in the middle of Arkansas, there'd be a guy with an organ. You know, oh yeah, and that right. guy, and and those people, that guy with the organ, he was a really important person in the community mm-hmm. because he had to give life to the movie. Yeah. And sometimes that guy would do the score that he was given, and sometimes you'd go, "I know better," and he would do his own thing. Yeah. And there was no way to control what music you were hearing when you watched this film. Yeah. 
And the bad guys now are celebrating. They're taking off their Confederate clothes. They're getting their Union clothes on. We've made it back over the Union lines. Um, and Buster Keaton still hasn't seen that he's surrounded by Union soldiers. And then he sees them. Yeah. And again, it's that stone face reaction. <laughs> yeah. The eyes open, looking left to right. Great shot of the the first train, the general, comes under this huge railroad bridge. Yeah. And then goes around and ends up on top of the huge railroad bridge just as Buster Keaton comes under the huge railroad bridge and they throw down more, more railroad ties on him, which doesn't really bother him at all. Nope. He gets out of the car. There's a little gag with a coat and hat. He gets into the woods and starts to rain. Yeah. Um, and it really rained. Oh, it did? No, no, no. I'm saying it's oh, in, yeah, in yeah, the yeah. movie. Yeah. Um, cold and hungry. Yeah. Really hungry. <laughs> Helplessly lost, hopelessly cold, and horribly hungry. Horribly hungry. That is a lot of alliteration. <laughs> What's that? From anxious anchors. <laughs> I knew you would. I knew you would have it. Um, uh, uh, that line will never leave my yeah. mind. Uh, and we see now he goes through in the pouring rain a window into a house, and he sees a set table, and there's people there. Yeah. He grabs some food. He hides under the table, and who should show up but the entire uh, staff of the Union Army, who are now making their plans for the next day. Yeah. And one of the dudes, one of the officers there is his dad. That's Joseph Keaton, oh. who used to throw his son into the orchestra <laughs> pit, is one of the officers. That's great. Again, the little bits are so great mm-hmm. that he's under there, their feet. We see him listening to what's happening as they describe their plans. We see a guy who's smoking a cigar, and that guy burns a hole in the, in the tablecloth. Yeah. And now he can see through, and it burns him. And he has to be quiet. And now who do we see brought in from the rain but Annabelle? Yeah. Framed perfectly in the hole that the cigar burnt in the tablecloth. And the lighting is great. Again, they don't – there are no light meters at this time. People had the ability to just look and go, oh, I think this is about this stop. Mm -hmm. And to light the difference between just lighting his face or just his eye underneath that table is really impressive to get all of that just right. Um, And they put Annabelle into a room, lock her up, Mm -hmm. and – uh, and the plan, but the plan that we hear is that well, now that we got this train, we're going to go down with our supply trains, and we're going to meet up with the army, and we're going to surprise the Confederates on the left flank, and we're going to wipe them out. Yeah. So this is this is bad. If you're a Confederate, if you're a Confederate. <laughs> um, John, I can't tell you how excited I am about the Cinephiles' new sponsor, an absolutely incredible game. Marvel Strike Force. Now, anyone who's listened to the show knows that I've been reading comic books since I was five years old, and this is like a comic book fan's dream come true. You could create a mobile squad and play as your favorite Marvel characters. I mean, everyone is there. The Punisher, Vision, Black Panther, Cap, or even my favorite Marvel character of all time, Daredevil. Your goal is to power up those characters, unlock gear, and use them to compete in player versus player mode, alliance mode, and real-time arena. Yes, Stephen, as we speak, they are enjoying their six-year anniversary. Six years, wow. And you know what that means? Free stuff just for signing up via their unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. If you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Completing every single mission throughout the entire anniversary will result in an even more special reward. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out, y'all. Check out that unique promo code, and for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. Once again, 
Thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force. We're very, very excited to have you sponsoring this episode. She's alone in her room, and he finally comes out from under that table with a piece of wood, which he then uses to knock a guard out, yep. gets his clothes, goes up to another guard on patrol, knocks him out, climbs into the window where Annabelle is. She's asleep, can't figure out how to wake her up, puts his hand over her face, yeah. freaks out, yeah. realizes it's him. He says, please be really quiet, you know, with hand gestures that I'm doing right now <laughs> on, our, right. on our radio podcast. That's right. And then immediately knocks over a table. Yes, he does. <laughs> with his... With his, uh, with his butt. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and there's little bits of comedy as they try to get out the window, mm-hmm. hand slammed to the window, they fall. Everything is going to have a little bit. And we get out into the pouring rain. We see some animated lightning. <laughs> and then in the next lightning light up, what do we see? A bear. A bear. Yeah. <laughs> of course. Because, again, it's it's out of the frying pan into the fire. Totally. And bears just wander around in lightning. Uh, sure. In the rain. Totally. I wonder how many bears there were in Georgia in I don't. I have no idea. I don't know. I don't know. I didn't study that. Um, by the way, I believe this is named Barney the Bear. Oh, and this was the bear. Like, if you wanted a bear in your movie in the 1920s, this was the bear to get. What? He's the bear that's in Gold Rush with Charlie Chaplin. <laughs> the this same bear. Same bear. Look, they're not a lot of trained bears. This is the cottage industry, man. It is. All right. Well, it's honestly, it still is today. Yeah. Like there was the bear that was the. Ben or something that was like in a 60s TV show. Mm-hmm. And that bear was in every – every time you saw a $6 million man, it was the same bear. Wow. Yeah. So maybe we picked the wrong careers. <laughs> I don't um, know. And uh, unfortunately, she steps into a bear trap. Uh, no. What? As if she isn't doing enough. <laughs> well, it, my understanding of bear traps is that will break your ankle. Yes, it will. Maybe rip your foot off. Yep. You'll um, bleed out from it too. Yeah. After a few days. But, but we're going to immediately go from – uh, pain to comedy because as he gets her out of the bear trap, his hands get stuck in the bear right. trap. And then in trying to get his hands out of the bear trap, his foot gets stuck in the bear trap. I think Bugs Bunny did this. I think so too. <laughs> um, and they finally are free and then they kind of say, well, let's just stay here. Yeah. you know. And thank you for rescuing me and you're very brave. Um, and it's the next morning and they wake up and the army is loading up the trains because they're ready to go, getting ready to go south. Yep. And he goes like, well, we got to do something. We got to find a way to stop this. So he runs up to the train because he's dressed as a Union soldier. Yep. Grabs a big sack. We're going like, what's what's he doing? Right. Pour opens up the sack. It's filled with shoes. And then he goes, I'm going to put you in the sack. Mm-hmm. She's not that into the idea. Yeah, well, who and would he, be? And he's fairly rough in getting her into the sack and explaining his plan. By the way, this actress, uh, mm. she goes on. I uh, forget her name. Uh, Mac something Mac. But anyway, she is she. Uh, married a producer of the film, but she becomes a writer and a producer and maker of these silent films um, and then kind of fell out of favor with it. But then years later went on the circuit, like uh, doing many tours and speeches about working with Buster Keaton on the general. Mm. And uh, she was, she has her own pretty incredible life story herself as a performer in um, silent film. Well, one thing I saw about yeah. her, I didn't see all that, yeah. was that when when Keaton's life pretty much fell apart, which it did yes. pretty soon after this, yeah. she get she got him work. Yeah. When no one would hire him, yep. she got him work. Yeah. Um, so he gets her in the bag. He picks her up. 
he marches up with all the other soldiers with bags and he throws her in. Yeah. No, well, first he walks past where he's supposed to take it. Right. And one of the officers is pointing out like, no, no, you got to go over here. And as he's doing it, we see from the other side of the train that she is pulling out the pin that connects the uh, the freight cars from the engine. Yes. Then he just throws her in one of the cars. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as he turns away, we see – a giant box and barrels and all the stuff that is going to pile right on top of it. And he's like, oh, he's like, yeah, but nothing he can do. Nope. Nope. He jumps up on that train with a piece of wood, knocks, takes out three dudes right away. He's an action star. I'm the sidekick. He throws at the one guy to kick him off the train. That's a damn good kick. This is an action star in nowadays, right? This would totally be an action star. hundred percent action movie. This is an action movie. The general is an action movie. Oh yeah. Yeah. It is. It's nonstop action. Yes. Beginning to end. Yeah. Um, it's it's funny. I'm glad you said that because we've said a thing, you know, as we've charted how did the modern action movie get made. And we talked about movies like Jaws, like Raiders mm-hmm. of the Lost Ark, like Die Hard, Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back, and going like this is really where it starts. We're wrong. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Because this is the, this is an act, nonstop action film mm-hmm. beginning to end right here. Someone to save. Yep. He's got a cause he's fighting. Uh, he's the underdog. Obstacles keep getting in his way. Yep. He has to fight back from them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, a little bit of luck. <laughs> a lot, yeah. Um, and the bad guys see he takes off in the engine. Bad guys see what's happening. Oh, and by the way, one of the three dudes he takes out is actually the general, the main general of the Union Army, and he is left unconscious yes. in in the engine for a majority of the movie. The rest, <laughs> the rest of, of the, the movie is yeah. just about. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and they they go oh we gotta we gotta go after this train and they get and, and they get all the soldiers like all the soldiers get onto a train too, yeah. and now so we have three engines going we have the general his engine which he has now stolen back yeah we have the Texan which the spy bad guys are on and we have another engine which is connected to the huge train of supplies with all the army guys also coming along right. Um, and as his train is going, uh, Buster jumps off the train, uh, ties some ropes around some telegraph wires, which he pulls down, and we see that it actually knocks out the telegraph line. So the Confederacy is – they're winning, John. Yeah, they're winning. Um, and the, the same bit is repeated with this whole – and then checking the equipment, seeing that they can't – when they cut the wires for the Confederacy. Yeah. He basically cuts a hole into the the freight car Mm -hmm. to look for the girl who he walks around. I think he steps on her like three times before he actually finds her. Finds her. She still has that pin that she pulled. Um, They climb out of the car with her on top of him. It's very awkward and very funny. Lots of petticoats in his face. Mm -hmm. Um, And the bad guy train is coming up fast. um, And he's running out of firewood. Yeah. So they stop the train. There's a nice rail fence there. He takes a rail, throws it beautifully on top of the train. Yep. Throws another rail up, not so beautifully, hits the first rail, knocks it down. Yeah. Then he goes, oh, I guess I have to throw it farther. He throws it over the train. <laughs> and this is all one shot. Yeah. This is all – this whole bit of him not quite getting the rails into the train are all one shot. And then and then we also have her doing something with a rope yeah. behind the train. We don't know what it is. Uh, finally, we get going again. And as they get going, the bad guys run into the rope that she had set up, which pulls two trees into their engine yeah. and messes them up. So Annabelle made a good move. Yep. By the way, her name is Annabelle Lee, which is the Edgar Allan Poe poem. Oh. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, Lee also makes sense as a Confederate thing. Uh, 100% does. Right. Smart guy, that Buster Keaton. Yeah. Uh, he knocks out the whole back wall of the freight car, which creates a beautiful shot yeah. of the train coming up behind them. He starts throwing stuff at him, barrels and crates, 
and to get in their way, which they have to at each one, they have to stop and get yeah. it off the tracks. And then he throws another one, and they have to stop and get it off the tracks. Lo- I love this situation because the idea of them having to stop the train, get out, <laughs> move it, and the frustration to get back in, and then, oh, shit, we got to do it again. Boo, boo. It's funny. It's great beats. Great so, beats. So I watched this with my eight year old son. Yeah. Which is great. I love when I have a cinephiles movie that is totally appropriate for him. Yeah. First of all, he loved it. Good. Not only did he love it, he was 100% in from the beginning, and he was talking to the movie. He kept going like, oh, no, they see him. Oh, no, he doesn't know that there's the army there. Oh, no, he's there. And when we had got to this where he's throwing the barrels and stuff onto yeah. the tracks, Jack says, wow, he's really good at this, <laughs> which he is, by the way. Yeah. Every time he throws something, the accuracy and the just the skill with which he does all the things he does is really amazing. Um, that unconscious officer starts to wake up and Annabelle, who's kind of driving the train at this moment, doesn't even notice. But don't worry. Buster's going to come up knock him out again. Yeah. Um, they stop at a water tower because trains need water. And we have another bit where the big pipe for the water oh, comes yeah. off. And so he starts it and it just knocks her down. It looks – by the way, that looks painful. Yeah. Um, and they leave the water on and now the – Bad guys go through the water. So it is the exact opposite of what happened on the way going north. Mm. Now happens to the bad guys on the way going south. Right. Um, There's a little bit where she finds a piece of wood with a hole in it, throws it away. That's, it needs, that's not a good piece of wood. It doesn't work for us. <laughs> and then she starts sweeping up. <laughs> so there's some weird bits in here. Yeah, true. Um, Conventional at the time, I imagine. Yeah. For a character, a female character, yeah. Um, the trains are coming up fast. The bad guys are out on that cow catcher. Um, they are almost to the that freight car behind his train, and they're going to jump on it and climb over. But he's cut off that train, that car, and now they they keep going. Right. Yeah. They open fire uh, with their rifles, and unfortunately, uh, the car is slowing them down, and they push that car off onto another track, mm-hmm. and they back up. To go back on their first track and slam into the train with the officers and the supplies and knock them <laughs> yeah, down. Right. Those officers are going to get knocked down a bunch of times. <laughs> back on our train, Buster teaches her how to run the train because he's going to jump off, which he does, and destroy the next switch. Right. She starts the train going. He goes, oh, this is great. I've got the switch destroyed. And he looks around and, uh-oh, she's gone because she can't stop the train. <laughs> Now he runs after it, can't catch it. She's going – now it's going downhill fast. So he runs down like a cliff uh, to catch up to her, which again is a Jackie Chan does an homage to running down this oh. thing in Police Story or Police Force, oh, whatever yeah. name you go to. Um, so he runs down the train, just gets down to her lower when she's coming around the track and that's when she figures out how to go in reverse. <laughs> and she goes away and he has to go back up. Um, and they are coming backwards, and just as they're coming backwards, the bad guys have gone on the switch that Buster thrown and go up this ramp right next to him, and then the train behind him slams into the train, almost knocking them off this ramp. Yeah, um, and that was done in reverse. If you look, mm. if you look at the smoke, the smoke is going down when those trains oh, glide. So what they actually did was the trains were together, yeah, yeah, yeah. and they pulled apart, which then they put in reverse to make wow. it look like a crash. That's that is basic, basic <laughs> film trickery. Movie magic. Yeah, back to our train. He's climbed around the front of the train now, and he's pulled that that oil lantern out of the light right. of the train. Right. And they come to the Rock River Bridge, which is where the big rendezvous between the main Union Army and the supply train was supposed to happen. And they stop in the middle of the bridge, mm. and they start building something in the middle of the bridge—a big pile of stuff. And we're going like, "What is going going on here?" 
the bad guys are stuck at that switch that uh, Buster Keaton broke and they can't get past it. And then we figure out what they're building in the middle of the bridge. They're building a big fire. Uh, fire yeah, fire. And she's, he takes that lantern and he pours all the oil or kerosene or whatever it was at the time on the big fire. And he steps over to the other side pouring oil everywhere. And she's got something that's lit on fire and she drops it. I know. <laughs> and there is a big fire in the middle of the bridge between Buster Keaton and the train. Yeah. He can't get past it. And again, we have to point out, there's nothing fake here. Yeah. This is a really big fire on a wooden bridge (laughs) with Buster Keaton who's trying to get past it. And he basically jumps over it and jumps right through the bridge and ends up down in the river. It's a a great bit. Bad guys still can't get past that uh, switch. Uh, we're driving along. A Confederate guy sees them. Well, Buster Keaton's wearing a union union uniform, and the guy opens fires. And Buster goes, oh, "I should change my my outfit." Yeah. Um, and they pull into town, and he tells everybody. And there's the Confederate army there. There's the Confederate general there, and they rally the troops. We hear a triumphant version of Dixie as they, you know, everyone's coming out of their houses. And this is this is a big movie. Yeah. There are a lot of people and horses and cannon and whole big battle is about to happen as the whole army is going marching down the streets and she's helping Annabelle's helping to do all this stuff and we see dad and we see the brother who are now seeing uh, Johnny Gray in a different light and as we march down the street I have something interesting to tell you about this town. Please. So this was shot in um, Cottage Grove, Oregon. Okay. And this is the main street of a small town Cottage Grove, Oregon. Would you like to know what other film was shot on this street? The Shining. No. Okay. Animal House. <laughs> the final <laughs> sequence, and the, that is Cottage Grove. The parade? In the parade. <laughs> and I think my understanding is that's the same street. <laughs> that's perfect. Because it's the main street of the town. That would make sense. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Um, no matter what weird films you make about uh, college, they still respect uh, the cinephiles, the uh, the original uh, directors. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and suddenly he's all alone in the city street and he's like, oh, I got to go catch up to the to the guys. Right. The um, the bridge is now fully bur- burning. The bad guy f- bad guys finally fix that rail and they get past it. Um, the cavalry has arrived at the bridge and they say, you know what? Take that train across the bridge. They take that train across the bridge. The bridge collapses with the train on it. Again. Real? All real. Not not. 400 people from the town came out, picnics, everything, to yeah. watch the bridge collapse. It's a real – not only is it a real bridge with a real Civil War era train collapsing, you know, 100 yeah. feet into the river below. It was there for 20 years. Oh, wow. People, It was like a local landmark for 20 years and it wasn't until World War II where they finally um, – they sold the uh, engine for scrap metal. Wow. In- oh, it was – in the water. In the water, sitting years. there for 20 wow. years. Wow. Yeah. Isn't okay. that crazy? Yeah. Yeah. This movie, that shot, this is what I understand is, that shot cost $42,000. <sighs> it is one of the most expensive single shots up to that point in film history. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? That's madness. I thought I read that it was the most expensive shot ever in a silent film. Certainly, It might be. And possibly in the top three most expensive shot ever made when you adjust for inflation. Yeah. It's a huge – well, and this is the thing to think about. This is a comedy. Yeah. How much money do we spend on a comedy today? Yeah, ain't that. It's like they went, you know, Buster Keaton's a huge star. Great. Mm-hmm. Go to have armies and soldiers and horses and cannon and destroy bridges and trains yeah. for your comedy. Have fun. 
Um, and here comes the army and they're going to ford across the river here and there's the Confederate army on the ridge across the way and they open fire. And Buster is with the general and he's gotten uh, a sword. He has some problems with that sword. (laughs) (laughs) Because every time he moves it, the sword is coming off the hilt and then he's dropping it. He pokes another officer with the sword. There's a lot of explosions everywhere. He's trying to relay orders for the general. Oh, he loses his sword again. He runs over to where some cannons are. He walks right in front of a cannon just after or just before it fires. Wow. And again – that's gunpowder. Yep. Like if he if the timing is wrong, it'll kill him. Mm-hmm. There's no question that would kill him. Uh, we see that the bad guys are down the hill, including our spy master, the main sort of bad guy, right. and he's got a rifle. And Buster is kind of directing some of the cannon guys, the gunners, to fire, and one guy goes down. Yeah. We see the bad guy, re- you know, with his rifle again, and another gunner goes down, and then <laughs> Buster points at that guy with his sword, except the sword flies off the hilt and kills the guy. (laughs) So we've taken out, he accidentally has taken out one guy. He's going to fire that cannon, except he accidentally fires the cannon straight up. Yeah. And then, and we see that more bad guys are coming through the river and he suddenly goes, where's that cannonball going to come down? (laughs) He backs slowly away, but where does it come down? Into a dam and the river floods and it wipes out the rest of the Union troops. So, Johnny Gray has essentially single-handedly won this battle. Well, not single-handedly. Single-handedly. He is the hero of this battle. He certainly. He got lucky. Um, yeah. Even there's even a moment where the flag bearer gets hit yeah. and he grabs the flag in a extremely dramatic probably my guess is right out of uh Birth of a Nation mm-hmm. kind of shot, you know, of him carrying that flag. Yeah. And we hear Dixie and the heroes return to town. Um, and the town is cheering and Buster makes it to the uh, to the train. He gets up on the engines. And now our general, our union general who's been unconscious for most of the film, <laughs> wakes up and Buster Keaton captures him. Yep. Marches him right over to the Confederate general. He surrenders his sword. And Buster's kind of looking at that sword. And the general looks over – the Confederate general looks over at uh, Johnny Gray and says, is that your uniform? And he goes, no, I had to wear it to get across enemy lines. And the, and the general seeming kind of angry says yeah. – Take it off. Yeah. And now he's feeling very sheepish. Takes off the uniform. Annabelle is watching. Annabelle's dad is watching. The brother is watching. This is not how he wanted this to go. And then the general hands him another coat. And he goes, okay. And he puts on the coat. And we, of course, know what's happening. Right. We know that's an officer's coat. And then he hands him a hat. And we know what's happening. (laughs) We know that's an officer's hat. Right. And it takes a long time for him to figure it out. Yeah. They hand him a sword and now suddenly he looks at his clothes and his sword and the general says, enlist the lieutenant. <laughs> and he finally gets to be in the army. Yeah. And he go- takes Annabelle and he goes over and they sit on the train. And <laughs> This is a great sequence. He wants to have his first kiss with her. Yeah. And just as they're about to have a first kiss, an enlisted man walks up and salutes. Yep. <laughs> so he has to salute back. And then he's about to have his first kiss. Another enlisted man shows up and he has to salute back. And then another. And then he's about to have first kiss. And then there's revelry. Yeah. And the entire army yeah. starts to come up. And finally he switches position, grabs her, plants a big kiss on her while lifting his arm up and down as quickly as possible. <laughs> uh, and that is the end of the general. Ah. Fantastic stuff. It is such a entertaining and engaging. Yeah. I, I – I, I didn't – you know, sometimes you have the – well, this is a really old film. Right. And I'm going to appreciate it for what I'm going to appreciate it for. Right, right, right. 
I don't feel that way at all with this movie. No, this is a fun watch, Steve. Totally. When you first suggested, I've never, I've, you know, Metropolis was a damn slog to it's get a through. Slog. It's a hard, it's brilliant, but it's hard. Uh, two hours and twenty or forty minutes, whatever it is, depending on the version. Yeah, yeah for an independent film or for a silent film, rather, is madness. We did it for the the uh, the um, Thunderdome for mm. the top ten. It was the blunt uh, the Thunderdome. We almost quit doing it after yeah. that because that movie is tedious. This is not that. This no. is so much fun. Buster Keaton is great. The uh, the shots are well. Uh, the camera is well placed for the shots that he's doing. The action is believable. The near misses. The swifts switches in power in the action. Like yep. who's ahead? Who's in charge? Who's not in charge? All of it so completely works. And um, the reasons for why he's doing what he's doing make sense as well. And turn him into a sweetheart of a protagonist in the film because yep. he's doing this to look good for his girlfriend and to earn her uh, respect for him mm-hmm. and honor. And you know. We can't judge that in the South or in that time. Maybe this is a common mentality. Like serving the South is a way of like being seen as a a, a heroic person to your family or to your wife or to potential uh, wife. That, well, that kind of stuff. I mean, you can't separate ideas of honor and ideas of romantic heroism and ideas which are always connected to getting the girl and yeah. the cheers of the people from the reasons that people – Enlist in the military and fight mm-hmm. wars at the beginning of the war. Right at the beginning, of the you know, wars. like like the you know the Civil War in particular was yeah. thought of as going to be very romantic. It yeah. wasn't. No, you I mean know. people. You mentioned people coming out to see the bridge collapse. We saw that in the Civil War documentary. People coming out to watch the first battle yeah. with their ch- picnic chairs and their yeah. carriages and thinking, and then they're like, "Oh my God, this is like going on forever. This is real." Well, this is the again. I, I I'm not trying to get deep about this movie at all, but but like it is interesting. Here is the most cataclysmic event in American history, and here's a comedy about it that's supposed right. to be fun, right? You know, right. and and that really is the problem because the reception of this movie, this movie didn't do well. It did not. No, it got mixed reviews. This is right at the moment that sound hits. Mm-hmm. So suddenly, people are not wanting to. This movie seems old fashioned. Maybe people weren't digging the fact that it was a comedy about the Civil War, or mm-hmm. that the heroes were in the Confederacy. It was a huge budget. It lost money. Mm-hmm. United Artists, who he made the film for, dumped him. Yep. After this film, he never had artistic control, full artistic control of a movie again. He went to uh, MGM where they it sounds like they treated him absolutely terribly. He had a lot of trouble adjusting the sound era. This is also when he had a terrible divorce and he became, you know, mm-hmm. pretty raging alcoholic. Um, MGM forced him to use a stunt double. Can you believe that? Yeah. Like this is the most beautiful, graceful, moving human who has built his entire life on going through these death-defying events and being safe. And they go, no, no, we're going to have somebody else do that. Like that's insane to me. Um, His last movie for MGM, he teams up with Jimmy Durante for supposed to be just a horrendously awful movie. It was horrible for him. He's done as an American movie star. And then he goes back to two reelers in the 30s. You know, which aren't very popular. Yeah. He ends up as a gag writer, which means he's just writing jokes. Yep. So he's writing jokes for the Marx Brothers and not the good Marx Brothers movies, like some of the later, like yeah. not so good Marx Brothers movies. He's he's just doing anything he can to make a buck. So here's a guy. He's lost all his money. One of the biggest stars in the world for a certain period of time made these amazing films. And now he's like, you know, a, a, a working writer, mm-hmm. actor guy desperately trying to just get a gig to pay rent. Yeah. Isn't that just... Amazing. That's that's the that's the business out in this world in, yeah. in Hollywood. You yeah. know, you can fall down at any time, and then you end up and it's a public falling. That's the thing that's the worst about it. You can hit the highest of highs, 
But if you don't maintain it or come close to maintaining that level, the tumble back down is a rough tumble. Man. It's just so strange to me. Like, here's a guy who's clearly a genius. Yeah. And you go, okay, maybe we don't give you $750,000. Maybe we'll give you $150,000. Right, right. But let him do his thing rather than, like, mm-hmm. have him make a crappy movie with Jimmy Durante. No respect to Mr. Durante. Right, right, right. Um, right, look, everybody does crappy movies back sure. then who were great, you know. But And today. Yeah, and the thing is you have to – you compare this with Marion Mack, and I was bringing this up earlier, and I want to make sure I get this right. She was originally a Mack Senate bathing girl. Then she didn't earn her first credit until 1938, and she says because she insisted on it, she married the movie's producer, Louis Llewellyn, in 1924. That was this movie she did, Mary of the Movies. She heard of the part in the general from her hairdresser, shot the thing for six months, said it was an arduous shoot. Then decided afterwards that she would quit acting after this film rather than endure such a thing again and a long separation from her husband again. For her, the priorities were about being with her husband and being in love and and pursuing that. She becomes uh, a a screenwriter uh, and then uh, she uh, is a producer. They start a production company and they do all kinds of films. And then, as I said, eventually uh, after Lewis's death or her husband's death in 1969, Interest in the generals revived, and she goes around and tours extensively, mm. talking about Keaton and everything, working with him. Wow. But look, she had another avenue whole, to pursue. Yeah. I think maybe with Buster, because he only did those one days of school, he had no education to fall back on. This is all he knew. Well, and if you're the star, used to having total creative control of your thing, exactly. and now you got to work at gig jobs to make a buck. You know, how are you going to do that? Exactly. To, yeah. Where are you going to go? I'm used to being able to get trains to destroy bridges. Right. You know, right. I mean, like you think about some of his most famous stunts, like the the house falling on him, and he's standing mm-hmm. in the window. Yeah. Go, by by the way, the, those of you who haven't done, done the Buster Keaton thing, this is what YouTube is great for. Go on YouTube, mm-hmm. do a search for Buster Keaton, watch some stuff. Yeah, you don't have to watch the full movies. Yeah, watch just the the sequences of the gags that he pulled off. They're incredible. The timing, everything, precision, phenomenal. One of the most amazing things I've ever seen in my entire life is a moment where there's a speeding car going by, and he reaches out his hand and grabs it and gets pulled yes! off by it. Yes. And I look at that thing. It's like I don't understand how your shoulders not, how your arms not ripped off your body. Right. It is one of the most amazing stunts I've ever seen in my life. But at this point, he's not getting work. It's not until TV. When TV comes along and there starts to be, you know, watching the late, late movie of watching some silent films. And yeah. some of the great comedians like Red Skelton, like um, Lucille, Ball, Lucille Ball, were huge fans of his and they brought him back. Yep. And he started to make appearances. And he's at 50 and 60 doing some of the stunts on television that he had made famous 30, 40 years earlier. Mm-hmm. And still – and someone asked him like, well, how do you do all those things and not get hurt? And he lifts up his shirt and he's just covered in bruises. Yeah. And, you know, because the fact the – re- the reality is as much as he might have been the little boy who can't be hurt – this stuff hurts. Yeah. He's going to get hurt and got hurt a lot. He uh, won – they give him an honorary Oscar in 1959. And then his last two films are It's a Mad, Mad, Mad World, which That's I know great. is one of your all-time favorites. It is. And then he's in A Funny Thing Happens the Way of the Forum. He passes away in 1966. Orson Welles uh, called The General the highest achievement in comedy and perhaps the greatest film ever made. Mm. So that's Orson Welles. And, and this – you know – he was – you know, we talk about in the, this podcast the influence these films have on us today. Well, 
in addition to people like Salvador mm-hmm. Dali who thought that Buster Keaton is one of the greatest artists of all time, if you look at Mel Brooks, Jackie Chan, if you look at yeah. um, uh, Woody Allen, if you look at so much comedy where those people love Buster Keaton. So if you want to know where the great comedians you love got their stuff from, well, this is one of the origins. Mm-hmm. Buster Keaton, one of the great classic comedians of all time. You mentioned one. You didn't mention one for Sunset Boulevard. He has. Oh a, yeah, he has a, in Sunset he Boulevard. Has a role in Sunset when they're all playing poker, which is like a real meta moment yeah. of all these failed actors or actors who were once famous yeah. at one point are all together like it be talking bitterly about the industry as they play poker and you're just like well this is an interesting meta moment in Sunset Boulevard uh, which is obviously about Nora Desmond lo- losing her uh, spot at the title um, yeah there you go well do you have final thoughts <laughs> yeah here's my final thoughts it's not all about what's going on nowadays it's not all about what went on in the 70s or the 60s or the 50s the, to be a cinephile, you have to understand the origins of film and you have to be willing to go back and watch the pioneers of this medium and what they were able to do and how they thrilled audiences and the time that they took and the precision and the intelligence and the work that they put in and the hours that they put in to make this these incredible films uh, that influence, as Steve said, so many people nowadays, so many great comedians, martial artists, what have you. Nowadays, you have to go back and appreciate what happened in the past so you can really appreciate where we're at now uh, presently and where we're going in the future with these with movies because I'd love to see this kind of thing come back nowadays. It's rare. You rarely get these kinds of action comedies like this, right, where it's one person and it's timing and all these other things are happening and they're barely escaping and barely doing all this. It's rare when it happens nowadays, but I I feel like there could be a nice niche of that kind of uh, action cinema, action movie cinema, uh, brought back uh, with the right person in charge of it. Uh, I like everything you said, and the thing that it made me think of is we talk a lot about art, you mm-hmm. know, in our podcast, yes, and we we really elevate artists, like the idea of great art. Yeah, sure. And I personally am such a proponent of craft. Is that – and if you watch this film, you have to think about or you should think about the craftsmanship. Yeah. How did they do it? First, you have the idea and then you need to bring together all sorts of technology that's from 1860s yeah. in timing and cameras and film stock and lenses and and we had all of these pieces working together to make a tiny little moment just a little bit better. Yeah. You know, it's not actually the big stuff that make this movie work. It's all the little stuff and all the little stuff that he was incredibly disciplined about making happen just perfectly. Yeah. You know, and that's what makes it such a fun film. Yeah. And we don't think about, you know, perfectionism when it comes to comedy. But in fact, a lot of comedy is about perfectionism. It's about getting it exactly right so you can get that laugh. Mm-hmm. So that's what we think of the general. We would love to hear what you think. And we'd love to hear if this is your first silent film or your first Buster Keaton film. What's the experience like looking at a movie that's almost 100 years old? <laughs> Does it still work for you as a film or is it just too hard to get past that barrier of no dialogue and title cards and stuff like that? <laughs> um, if we love to hear your thoughts, visit us on Facebook. You can leave reviews on iTunes where, of course, you should subscribe to the show. And if you can't subscribe there, do it on Spotify or Stitcher. Maybe you want to go to YouTube and look at a still image, not our moving faces, <laughs> but it's still a lot of fun. And the best thing about YouTube, you could leave your reviews there. And if you really love the show, well, the best thing to do is support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash the cinephiles, where you can suggest films uh, that we do here or listen to our cinephile shorts. And of course, if you want to buy the general or stream it or stream through Amazon Prime, anything we've ever done, 
uh, done. Or if you want to buy, let's say, a, I don't know, a $3,000 TV, you should do it through cinephiles.net. Why the not? price is the same to you, but it helps support the show. Yeah. And that's, I think, it for this week. Oh, I should say how you can reach me on Twitter at SR Morris or on Instagram at SR Morris One. John, how about you? You can always reach me at The Roca Says on Twitter and on Instagram. And yeah, like Steve said, let us know what you thought if you haven't seen The General before, what your experience was like watching it for the first time. And that's it for this week. We'll see you next time on The Cinephiles. <laughs>